The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. You'll take your Bibles and turn with me in your Bibles, please. Uh, to a, a number of passages tonight. I want to start with Romans chapter 8. So if you'll turn there and uh, join me in prayer. Father, thank you for these moments together in your word tonight. Would you guide us? Would you direct us? Would you teach us? Would you open up your word? Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus, our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Spirit whom you have sent to us. That same Spirit, that glorious Holy Spirit who was upon you, with you, you have now from the throne of God sent him to us. He has searched for us. He has saved us by bringing us to you. He has sealed us in you. And he is now with your word sanctifying us that we might know you, become more like you, not for any merit and salvation, but for the glorious privilege to make you known in word and in deed in this world. Now, Father, thank you for your word that lets us know all about life and death, that our only comfort in life and death is Jesus Christ. And that, Father, your word by your Son gives us not only our life in Christ, but what it means to live by faith in Christ and then to die in faith for Christ, to be with Christ. And, Father, we pray that you would guide and direct us in these thoughts from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I could just take a moment for a little bit of a side statement here on the side. Um, I've shared this before, but let me keep sharing it again so you can share it with others. Um, Our Lord's Day morning worship and evening worship is there because the, the Sabbath Psalms call for the morning and evening sacrifices of praise. And But Sunday night is not like junior Sunday morning, you know, if I miss, I can make up type thing. It actually has two different purposes in the way we try to do it uh, before the Lord. And tomorrow morning I'll be meeting with Chris and I'll be meeting with uh, Benny and Bruce. And, of course, when John returns, be meeting with him. And one of the things we look at is how can we encourage you as you're coming out of a week you have been in serving Christ in a week in a broken world. You know if you're being faithful to Christ, you're going to be attacked. You're going to be assaulted. There's spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not a season in the life of a Christian. It is the life of a Christian. And if you don't have spiritual warfare, that's the unusual thing. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a war for Christ. Now, Jesus has won this war, but we're still in battles. We're to walk carefully with the whole armor of God. So you're coming out of that. And what we want you to do from the moment that you pull onto the facilities God has granted us is to sense the love of Christ, the security of Christ, the strength of Christ, the peace of Christ because of the grace of Christ in the Lord Jesus, and you can be lifted up in the transcendence of this God who is incomparable, and that's the one that has saved you, and that God dwells within you. We don't want you you to see God small enough to be in you. We want you to be amazed that this God, who is glorious and beyond our comprehension, there is none like him, that's the one who has saved you and indwells you. And so we try to, with expositional preaching, walk through that, those glorious truths and the singing and the confessions. 
And then Sunday evening, we know you're headed into this into this world next week. So we have been scattered and we gather to praise God from whom all blessings flow. Now, one more time, we gather and to encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And now you're about to scatter. The salt is getting out of the salt shaker this week. And we want you to be equipped and encouraged. So that's why we do a lot of expository preaching on Sunday morning and the hymns and confessions. And that's why we like to do topical expository because this is a little piece of an opportunity for me to pull the trigger on you being discipled. Now, the main delivery system, of course, is in a small group and you need to be in a small group for discipleship. And uh, and that's the main delivery system. But one of the things that God uses in discipleship is the large group in worship and the as it were, the, the cannonade of God's gospel to break down our heart and then the bomb of Gilead from the gospel preaching that builds up our heart, encourage us, exhorts us and equips us to step into a life. Now, it has been um, back before the COVID-19 pandemic came. I was dealing with this matter of if I should die before I wake. And we what I promised was that we would go to passages of Scripture to deal with certain issues about the believers, death and everlasting life. So we saw that death comes, death is not a part of life. It's an intruder and it's an enemy. The wages of sin is death. You don't have death in Genesis 1 and 2. It only comes in Genesis 3. And it comes with three dynamics. This physical death, separation of body and soul. Spiritual death, the separation of the sinner from an intimate, personal, saving relationship with Christ. Unless Christ saves us from both our bad heart and our bad record by his grace, we are separated from him, dead in our sins. And then, of course, eternal death, which is the separation of the impenitent sinner under the judgment of God for all eternity. So what is God's solution to that? It is the solution is God's saving grace in and through his son, Jesus Christ. So when you die now, what happens if you're a believer? So I only know of uh, two situations in the Bible where uh, People who have lived did not die. Otherwise, as far as I know, it's 100% mortality rate uh, that we've got going. One is Enoch and the other is Elijah. Uh, now, so, and, but there are not just two glorified bodies in heaven with Jesus, uh, Enoch and Elijah. There's actually three because the Bible tells us that uh, Michael the archangel was sent, and the book of Jude informs us that Michael the archangel secured the body of um, the body of Moses, and uh, and so that had been gone. That, that the body of Moses precedes the resurrection with the the own individual resurrection, which, by the way, is very helpful to explain something, doesn't it? Why is it at the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus is lifted up, two other glorified bodies are lifted up beside him? Does anybody remember who they were? Moses and Elijah. So how did they how did they get there if their bodies were still in the grave? Well, their bodies weren't in the grave. Elijah was taken up and the body of Moses had already been secured by Michael, uh, the archangel. So what we have, but everyone else, our bodies go ashes to ashes, dust to dust. In, and then God has promised the resurrection of them. Or as I say at every single uh, funeral, I try to make this point. There's a reason why why in the Apostles' Creed we affirm the gospel promise, I believe, in the resurrection of the body, that God will raise this body and, uh, and that he will raise this body for eternity. But when I die and my body's in the grave, what about me? Well, a body will come under the curse of sin and the body can be killed, but you can't. The soul cannot be killed. The only one that can kill a soul is the Lord himself. And so your soul, you continue to live at death. And you go, your body is laid aside, but absent from the body is present with the Lord. Now, where are you present with the Lord? You're present with the Lord 
in the immediate blessing of heaven for an intermediate period of time. You are spiritually perfected in your soul and you are in the presence of the Lord. That place is called heaven. That place is called Abraham's bosom side. That place is called a paradise. And that's where you are. There is also an intermediate and immediate state of judgment for the impenitent. That place is called the abyss. And that place is called Hades of torment. But you are in that place of paradise in the heavens, uh, in heaven, um, being comforted by the Lord. And there is your spiritual existence, as we looked at last week, that you enjoy in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. But that immediate heaven is not the final state. That immediate heaven is your intermediate state, and there is yet coming a final state. It is not simply a spiritual state. It is an eternal state with a glorified body. A glorified body, this physical body that you have will be resurrected into a glorified body. And that glorified body will be so uh, so effectively um, uh, transformed by the Lord so that it will know no ability to sin, no consequences of sin. And you will be able to enjoy that everlasting existence in a place that the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. That is the final state. Do you remember the Beatitudes? Do you remember the Beatitudes? Remember, blessed are you. Remember that one? So I can just call on somebody. They start quoting it, right? Well, I won't do that to you. Okay, so you remember one in Matthew 5. I see the verse 5 or verse 7. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit. Oh, this one? No, they will inherit the new heavens and the new earth. Believers will inherit a new heavens and a new earth. And we know that, and God even now is bearing witness of this to us. So what I want to do is take about some collected passages of Scripture and bring some distillation from those passages to give us some understanding of the final, ultimate state of the believer for all eternity. Have you ever stopped to think about that? All eternity. I've been redeemed and hell's gates are shut. I've been saved and the presence of the Lord is mine forever. When I die, uh, when I die before Jesus comes, I go immediately into his presence with the perfected soul. Remember Hebrews 12, the perfected soul in the heavenly Jerusalem. But when Jesus comes again and the body is raised and joined to that soul, I won't be in a heavenly Jerusalem. Jerusalem will come down. And the dwelling place of God will be with his people on the earth that's a part of a rejuvenated universe, a new heavens and a new earth. So if you've got your Bibles, let's get started on some of these texts. And I want you to have them there in front of you. It's Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now, I know you may have your um, technological Bible there. And I know you're saying, I know what Harry's going to say. Reading the Bible off of an iPhone is like kissing your wife through a screen door. I don't say that anymore. Here's what I say now. I say reading a Bible on an iPad or a computer or an iPhone is like kissing your wife through a COVID-19 mask. That's what I say now. Uh, Romans chapter 8, and look with me at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, that's where we are right now, this present age, are not worth comparing with the glory 
that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You see all of these convulsions that Jesus told us are going to be with us until he comes again. The convulsions of the winds and the storms, the the very groaning of the creation to be delivered, famines and storms, storms and um, uh, floods and all of the things that happen. That's the creation that's groaning. The creation waits with eager groaning. Why? Because you won't get a new creation until all of the sons of God have been revealed. All right, stop right there. So let me go ahead and do an advertisement here. Um, next Lord's Day, we're going to deal with the doctrine of the eternal state of the impenitent sinner, the doctrine of hell. And then we want to come back to this series, and I want to pick up some things that we're moving over. For instance, last week I talked about the immediate blessing of heaven in the intermediate state, right? This week I am talking about... Uh, this week I'm talking about the final state. I just skipped over two things in God's redemptive plan. What are they? The second coming of Christ and the judgment seat. So we are going to come back and pick up those from the Bible. What is the judgment seat? And what about believers in the judgment seat? And what about when will Jesus come? And I want you all to know, do not miss that sermon because I know when Jesus is coming. I know, and I'm going to tell you when he is coming in that sermon. But what this is telling you, the creation, now watch, the creation is groaning, and it will keep growing until it's delivered, but it won't be delivered until all of those who are the sons of God have been revealed, translated, until the elect have been saved. This old heavens and old earth is going to keep on groaning and convulsing. And it will continue to do that until the revealing of the sons of God. Now, go with me to what he then says. For the creation was subjected to futility. Now, if you want to jot down notes in your Bible, you can put the word vanity there. And you can go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 or Ecclesiastes chapter 1. All is what? Vanity. And when you see that futility, put the word vanity, it's the same word. And when you see that word uh, futility or vanity, don't think simply of frustration. Think of emptiness. That's what Ecclesiastes is saying about vanity. It is emptiness. And so what this is telling you is the creation, because of sin, has been cursed. And the curse upon the creation is creation never fulfills what God made it to be. And God made it as to how it was to be used and how we were to subdue it and how we were to rule over it. It will not do its purpose because the curse of sin is upon it. Yes, many times you will plant and you'll see seeds come to harvest. Many times you'll plant and it won't. You will see things constantly that don't work as God ordered it to work in creation. That's not any inadequacy of creation. That is the evidence of the curse of sin. Upon the creation, its emptiness, its lack of fulfillment, because of him who subjected it in hope. Now, why did God subject it, the curse of sin? He subjected it to the curse of sin in hope that the creation itself will yet be set free from its bondage to corruption. And this creation will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So not only will there be God's people who will be set free from their sin and revealed that in context with that, this creation has been 
been subjected to the curse of sin to be delivered by the hand of God as the place where those saved sons and daughters of God will reside for all eternity. It has been subjected to the curse of sin in the anticipation of not fulfillment now, now is emptiness, but in fulfillment then. When all of his people have been saved, then this creation will be, will be ushered into and transformed into a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So please, folks, please, 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 don't buy the videos, don't buy the books that keep going to the fact that uh, Jesus is coming soon because this, 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 and this is happening in terms of cataclysmic events uh, in the atmosphere, on the earth, and this and that and the other. Jesus has, oh, you can save your money. Jesus has already told you that in Matthew 24 and 25. From the day of his ascension, he said, until I come again, the convulsions of this groaning earth will be with you. Pestilence. COVID-19. There will be pestilence. There will be famines. There will be plagues. There will be storms. There will be um, uh, there will be um, there will be floods. There will be droughts. There will be all of these things will be here in this this uh, this earth that has been subjected to the curse of sin. And he calls them birth pains. He says these are the birth pains, but that's not the sign of his coming. These are the birth pains that tell you he is coming and like a woman's birth pains until he comes they will come they will be repetitive and they will intensify until he comes just as the pains of labor so then he goes on to say but we uh, for, for uh, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit so he's talking about believers who have been sealed in Christ by the holy spirit and the holy spirit is bearing fruit in your life we who are the first fruits of the spirit we are groaning inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For, in other words, our bodies are groaning too. Our bodies are under the curse of sin. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, if you're keeping count, we're up to three groanings in this cursed world. The creation is groaning. You are groaning. Your body is groaning to be delivered. And... The Spirit is groaning on your behalf with utterances that are too deep for words as he intercedes for you. And so those are three groanings that are taking place because God has subjected the creation and us and our bodies to the consequences and curse of sin in this world. Now watch what he says. And he who searches uh, our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes, uh, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So now, what we have been told is that this groaning, we know there's something to come. We know these bodies were not made to die. That's the curse of sin. We know they were not made for the sin and for that groaning and for those aches and for those pains. That's the curse of sin. And we see the creation groaning. We see our bodies growing, groaning. And now Paul says, listen, you know you're groaning. You know your body's groaning. You see the creation groaning. Now I'm telling you something else. God's grace is such. He's given you the Holy Spirit and you're the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is groaning for you. He is interceding for you. 
beyond what you could imagine, beyond what you could think. He is the one that is working in you. Now, I want you to take your Bible, Bible, Bible with those with those facts in place. I want you to take your Bibles and go with me to First Corinthians chapter two. First Corinthians. Now, we'll give you some passages in First Corinthians. Go with me to First Corinthians, the second chapter. And I want to read to you a passage my grandmother used to read to me all the time. Remember that Holy Spirit who knows you, who's praying for you. Isn't it wonderful to know you've got two intercessors? The Holy Spirit is interceding for you and Jesus is interceding for you. And so what are we told in verse um, 6? Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined. It's here that I have somewhat of a disagreement with some of my dear brothers who declare that what the new heavens and the new earth are is the reclaiming and the recapturing of the garden. I think that's true, but I think it's even more than that. I think it's even more than that. In the garden, you couldn't sing Amazing Grace. But you will in the new heavens and the new earth. I believe there is another whole dimension because of God's sovereign plan. In the allowing of sin and in the ordering of our sins in this world and in the authoring of salvation for us. And that will be known in a way that it wasn't known in the garden. I has not yet seen, not even Adam and Eve's. I has not seen, ear has not heard. We can't even imagine. There's a couple of passages that ought to come right to your mind in that next phrase. What God has prepared for us. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? Don't be fearful. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Are many glorious mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to what? Prepare this place for you. In my Father's house, what God is preparing for us through Christ is a new heavens and a new earth. It's a place. It's not a thought. It's not just a concept. I go to prepare a place for you that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor have you imagined. I go to prepare a place for you. This is what? It's the Father's house. It's a home. A place. The other day, I was back in Charlotte uh, for some family business. 
But don't worry, it's nothing extraordinary. Believe me, our business is, it maybe has two, two digits in, in our business world, in, in my family. But I was there to having to take care of something. And when I was there, I, I was riding by the house I grew up in, uh, at least part of my life, uh, from age 8 to age uh, 12. And I rode by there. It's amazing. Somebody threw water on that house and it shrunk. That's the only thing I can tell you. And I rode by it, and lo and behold, there's, there were three. There's a Greek family that lived across the street. I remember I played baseball and football and basketball with them for I don't know how many years, Harry George and Chris Pappas. And I saw, and lo and behold, I saw Chris out there. Chris was still living in that house across the street. So I stopped to say hello to him, and, and he thought, I'll tell you, this is really encouraging. He said, well, Harry, I thought you were dead. And I said, no, I'm not dead. And he said, you know, you had, but you hadn't hardly ate. I said, wait a minute, I think you're talking about my daddy. Oh, yeah, you're Ike. Yeah, I'm Ike. And so we got straight from that point. But he thought I was my daddy. But that's what he thought. But he wasn't looking too good himself, by the way. He, he, doing, he had some serious groaning going on in himself. So, um, but then um, the guy that's living in our, that's been living in our house since then came up. And it was amazing as we, it's just not the same house. And I, he hadn't done a thing to it. I mean, seriously, he has not done a thing to it, except raise nine kids in it. And then I was asking, why isn't it? I know why. My mama, my daddy, and my three sisters weren't in there. But in this house, it'll be a home. It's our Father's house. And we'll be with Him. It's also called a new heavens and a new earth. Where Jerusalem has come down. And there's no temple here. Because God's dwelling place is with you. And you with Him. Man does not, can't even imagine what God has prepared for him. But God has given us a few insights on what he has prepared for us and how he will prepare us for it. So while we're in Corinthians, would you go with me to 1 Corinthians 15? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And go to verse 50. But I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, we shall not all die, because some of us will be alive when Jesus comes. But we shall all be changed. But everybody, whether you get caught up alive when Jesus comes or whether you have died, we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. That's speaking of our bodies. Our soul is still there, perfected with the Lord when he comes. But our bodies will be raised, and that which is perishable will put on the imperishable. The perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. But now notice, this body... This body, but it will no longer be a mortal body, it will be an immortal body. It will no longer be a perishable body, it will be an imperishable body, but it's still a body. This body, the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. He's already defeated it. Then he will destroy it. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Next week you're going to find out death, as well as impenitent believers, as well as Satan and the fallen angels, will be cast into hell. It will have been swallowed up in the victory of Christ. And the evidence is your body will not be held by a grave. But God will bring that dust back. But now 
imperishable. Now immortal. Now this body will be equipped for this new heavens and this new earth that he brings to you. If you'll go back now, I think we're ready to go back to verse 35. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, uh, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he, as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly, of course now we call this DNA. Paul already had this down for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There are heavenly and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what, 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 is, sown, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body that is one equipped for all eternity. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. This body takes on a whole dimension that is set for the new heavens and the new earth, but it is a body. The first man was from the earth. He was a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. That's Jesus. He came down from heaven, the incarnation. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Now, that's a wonderful way for Paul to tell you what he says a lot more simply in Philippians chapter 1. That when we receive our new body, it will be like the resurrected body of Jesus. The transformed incarnate body of Jesus is that which we will have which means it will be recognizable, which means it is, not, it is not governed by the things of this world, but it is governed by the laws of a new heavens and a new earth. And it bears no effects of sin, no consequences of sin, nor will there be any ability to sin in that body whatsoever. That that is what God has now prepared for us. But don't stop there with me. Go to one more passage. How do we get to this new heavens and new earth? Well, actually, two more passages. I'll do them quickly. Go with me to Second Peter 3, because I'm coming back to this one uh, in, a, in a week or so. Right now, would you go with me to Second Peter chapter 3? Second Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder that you may should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of our Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers, uh, knowing this, first of all, what does, what does he want to remind us of that the apostles warned us of? Well, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Pastor, when were the last days? When Jesus ascended. We've been in the last days from his ascension until he comes again. And so these last days, as the apostles declared them, you're going to find scoffers who will come in the last days scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise? Here's one of their scoffing things. Okay, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water. 
water and through water by the word of God and that by means of those and by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished but by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exist are being stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly but do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day that's not giving you a formula that's telling you God God created time and time doesn't govern him he governs time and so the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises some count slowness but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So if I could just kind of pull some of this together. He says, Jesus has said he's coming again. And you're going to be with him in all eternity. But they're scoffers. Where is the promise of that? 2,000 years ago. All is as it has been. What's our answer? Oh, no, it hasn't. God made the heavens and the earth. And all isn't as it had been. He brought a catastrophe of judgment by water. A deluge. And that earth and its inhabitants perished. Except for those whom God's grace by his own hand had sealed in his ark. And then they were deposited in this purified heaven and earth. And God said, I will never destroy the earth again by water. But one day, by fire. And now, in this coming, there will be a second coming. And this time it's not water. This time it's fire. But now follow me. The text is clear. It's not a fire of destruction. It's a fire of dissolving and purification. And then he will roll it back out as a purified heavens and earth. When will that happen? When Jesus comes. When will Jesus come? After all, he's patient. He's not coming till all of his elect are saved. And once they're all saved, then he comes. And when he comes, he brings his people. He brings those who are with him in the intermediate state. Their bodies will be raised. We who are alive will be caught up. We will be together in him. And then comes this conflagration. And then comes a rejuvenation. And then comes what he has prepared for us. A new heavens and a new earth that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And you will have a new body to be in that new heavens and that new earth forever and ever with the Lord in all of its glory. That's what he is describing for you. Can't you just see, can you see the parallel? Here is God's was grieved that he had made man upon the earth. And he brings a judgment of water upon it. 
as his grace sovereignly lays hold of Noah and his family that found favor. And God provided an ark. So as the judgments fell, they were secure in the ark. God himself shut the door and sealed them in it. And then when he had purified with water the heavens and the earth, he then deposited, he then opened the ark and deposited his people and told them, be fruitful and multiply. Now Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, it will not be water. It will be fire. And he has a people. Chosen by his sovereign grace through salvation. And they are sealed in the ark of redemption, Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God. And when he has purified it and then rolls it back out, a new heavens and a new earth, he will deposit us in it with that new body for the new heavens and the new earth where we will be with him and he with us forever. And that's where I'd like to end with you, just reading it for you. Would you take your Bibles and go with me to Revelation chapter 21? Revelation chapter 21. Let me read it, and we'll close in prayer. Can you imagine the glory of that? Well, I can't. In fact, he just told me you can't. Your eye hasn't seen it, your ear hasn't heard it, and you can't even imagine it. But here's what he says I want you to know about it. Look at chapter 21 in verse 1. Well, in, in uh, chapter 20 and verse 11, there is his second coming. There is his judgment. Now, we're, we'll, we'll come back to that. But now I want you to go to chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. Now, that's very important. You know why? Because sea in the Bible means evil. In Hebrew symbolism and cosmology, the roaring sea is evil and the consequences of evil. That's why the Bible pictures redemption as a river of life, a water of life, springs of life. But evil is pictured as a sea in this new heavens and new earth. What he's telling you is not that there's not water there. What he's telling you is the sea of evil and sin will be no more. Not even the ability to sin. And then he says, and then he says to us, uh, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, what? Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God, the one he built, that he prepared. That eye has not seen, ear has not heard, that we can't imagine. The dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Then he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning. In the end, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God. He will be my son. Who are those that conquer? Those who are in Christ, who makes us more than conquerors in him. And this, folks is Emmanuel's land. The Father's house for you if you're in Him who has made you more than a conqueror. It's the place of your Sabbath rest. It's the place 
of your work for eternity. Harry, are we going to... Yep, listen. Work is not evil. But you're going to have work to do without the curse of sin. No more thorns and thistles. And there'll be... Oh, Harry. Animals? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but in beautiful symphony and harmony. The wolf and the lamb, the lion, they all are together. No more of this futility and violence. Now, with him, in the glories of this symphony, our rest in him is complete. Our work for him is forever. And the greatest privilege will be our gathering to praise his name forevermore. What about the angels? Oh, yeah, they'll be there. All the saved angels. Well, not say all the angels. They don't get saved. All the angels that are with the Lord, they'll be there. And they'll be doing what they were made to do. They were made to serve first God, then you. And you will then rule and reign over them. And for eternity, they will enjoy hearing you sing amazing grace. But they will never know what you know when you sing it. In fact, they will long to understand it. And you will be able to sing it for all eternity. Come quickly. Lord Jesus, now you see why Paul keeps saying that in the book of Revelation. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The sufferings of this age for Christ are not worthy to be compared with the glory yet to be revealed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time we could be together in your word tonight. Would you bless your people as they contemplate, reflect, and meditate. And as we see where we're headed, may it renew our commitment to be faithful to you and seek to be fruitful for you until we get there. And thank you, O Jesus, that you are preparing that place for us, preparing us for that place. And we give you praise and glory and honor now and forevermore. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.